This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, arts reporter for the Chronicle Herald here in Halifax. I'm Karsten Knox, a blogger at Flaw on the Iris at HalifaxBloggers.ca and the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. This is a movie podcast where we look at some current films and then examine some older titles that might be tangentially related. And hopefully you'll learn something about some films you might not have seen before. On this week's show, with Ex Machina and Avengers Age of Ultron in mind, we're thinking about tech and how it's going to kill us all. So, Stephen, here we are again, and today we're talking about tech that destroys us. And this is a theme that, you know, has been around since pretty much the beginning of time the first you know the first time someone came up with a with fire or a stick or something it's like oh that's going to destroy society and i mean in in literature and certainly in in movies if i mean going back to metropolis or or james wales frankenstein this is something that has been been a common thread you know it's and obviously still with us yeah i mean you even go back to jules verne and hg wells you know and writing in the in the period of the industrial revolution not knowing where this uh this headlong speed into the future was going to take us and uh, of course as uh, film came along it just became the perfect medium to to uh capture that sense of unease and paranoia about, about what the future is going to bring that it wasn't all going to be jetpacks and and uh, living in floating homes <laughs> yeah right which in fact is now i mean dystopia is now this huge huge i mean it's we could do a podcast just on dystopia movies but but i i think that uh just right now this very minute there are a couple of killer robot movies there's certainly uh, avengers age of ultron which is is kind of dominating the cultural landscape in terms of movies right now but there's uh there you know we're talking about ex machina which is coming a little bit under the radar but is really worth considering i think yeah, it's not a, a super glossy film or, or a, a very effects-driven film, although obviously there are a lot of effects used to create uh, the, the robot in the film. But but uh, it does uh, capture that theme in a very personal... I mean, it could almost be a play, really. It all takes place within one kind of compound as uh, as these two you know computer geniuses basically fight over uh, the future of artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh for those who don't know, yeah, it's it's directed by Alex Garland who kind of made his name as a novelist first and then he's worked with Danny Boyle a few times. He he wrote the screenplay for 28 Days Later and Sunshine. This is his first chance to actually direct his own screenplay. And uh it stars Oscar Isaac as this kind of Mark Zuckerberg-ish character who is who has invented and is the CEO of this of Blue Book, which is the world's most popular search engine. Uh, he lives in this resort, which is in fact shot. At, it's all shot at a hotel in rural uh, Norway. Yeah. I gather out in the mountains. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful spot. And uh, and through a contest in his company, he has come stay with him. One of his employees, uh, played by we decide how how we pronounce his name. I think Doonal 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 Gleason, uh, Brendan Gleason's son, who is also starring in everything at the moment. Uh, Doonal Doonal is in, will be in the new Star Wars movie along with Oscar Isaac. Funny enough, the two of them. Uh, anyway, so so here they are, and uh, and what uh, Oscar Isaac character Nathan has done is is created 
an artificial intelligence, a uh, a robot, a, a female robot. The the gender specifics seem to identify as female, and uh, it is. He basically wants his his subordinate there to run the Turing test on this, or a version of the Turing test on this robot to try to figure out whether she passes as artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's like we're on to the next phase from the replicants in Blade Runner that that uh, that these are even more developed. And you know, you can't help but think of the the scene at the start of Blade Runner where they're they're testing uh, Brian James as the actor. I can't remember the name of his his uh, is it Leon. Leon, yes, yeah. Leon. Uh, you know, as to whether or not he's a replicant and asking him a series of fairly cryptic questions to see uh, to see how he answers them. The the questions here are a lot more direct because obviously we're trying to. We're trying to question uh, an artificial intelligence that's pretty close to human, and it wants a lot of things that humans want, but due to the nature of its, uh, you know, perhaps potential indestructibility and 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 super intelligence, it might not be the greatest thing to unleash on the world. And, and, <laughs> yes, and so that's that. That's the kind of revelation that's slow, very slowly pulled back. I, I mean, that's what I like about Alex's work in this film. It's, it's a really a suspense film at heart. You know, we, we don't really know what these guys are dealing with or what's been created and, uh, and how far that uh, Oscar Isaac's character has gone um, in, in seeking mechanical and in uh, intellectual perfection in robot form. And, and uh, you know, the, that's, it's, it's, it really gets into your gut, you know, when <laughs> you're kind of wondering where is this going to go? Where is this going to lead? You know, is are there other is it possible to have affection between robots and humans or you know what's going on and, uh, you know you don't want to give too much away but it you know th- there are a few twists and turns along the way that that made this uh, really compelling movie for me yeah i i really loved it too and i i think i'm you know predisposed to this particular genre i love science fiction and i love the question of of what makes something someone human and and you know emotions and cog Cognition and all those kinds of questions, which I think the middle section of this film really explores nicely. The the ending, which I was still enjoying, but I, I feel like it became more of a thriller by the end, that some of the questions that it posed, it didn't entirely answer. But for me, nonetheless, I just felt like it was done so well, and it's so hypnotic. The score, the locations, the acting, everything kind of came together in a way that felt really, really uh, compelling. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I mean, there's also the question of, uh, and it's brought up and addressed directly, not, not, not uh, implicitly, but explicitly in the story, which is, uh, you know, the objectivity, objectivity of the creator, the, the Frankenstein. I mean, this is basically Bride of Frankenstein yes, revisited, exactly. you know, and, and, uh, and whether, whether it was necessary to make Ava, the robot, female and sexualized, and and of course, you know, if you think about it, it makes sense that that a male uh, egomaniac, who you know, I think there's some argument that that Nathan is an egomaniac, <laughs> would go ahead and do this kind of thing, uh, you know, sex robots for sex. It, it it's not a, it's not it's not an untoward thought that men would who created these 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 machines would use them in this way so so then the question comes to us an audience member who who is who's in control here who's really uh benefiting who's manipulating whom in terms of the characters you know is is nathan watching everything that that happens is he really uh and is he has he created an ai i mean i guess that's primary but also is she manipulating caleb and is is and and what's the relationship between the guys there's all these questions every time there's a new scene you kind of try to kind of suss out what's actually going on here and i i love that about the film 
Yeah, there's kind of a strangers on a train relationship between Caleb and Nathan uh, uh, right off the bat, you know, whereas Nathan is kind of, he's a computer genius, but he's also kind of a party animal. And, and, and Caleb's like being very wary and, and, you know, just trying to stick his toe in the water to see where he stands with this guy and, and doesn't like the signals he's getting back from him. Um, and, of course, we, we should pay credit to Alicia Vikander, who plays, uh, plays Ava, the, uh, the main robot at, at hand here, uh, because she's got a very tough job to, to play this, um, you know, this android, whatever you how to cy- not cyborg, but uh, certainly a, an artificial being that uh, is, you know, where is she on the uncanny valley? Like, how yeah, close is seriously. she to the, to the real thing? And, and, you know, of course, uh, we learned that Nathan has uh, made her very close to the real thing. And, uh, you know, and she desires to get even closer. Um, and she wants freedom, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's that's the sticky part of it is, is that, uh, you know, if we, you know, if she, we unleash her on the world, what comes next? You know, yes. she build an army of herself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a great moment where Nathan says it's probably going to be the next generation that's really going to be special. And I just that, that that to me was those is great, great kind of like realization that he doesn't he may not even know what he has. It's true. And, yeah. and, you know, and we uh, we get the feeling that maybe he didn't read Isaac Asimov's iRobot, you know, when he was <laughs> yeah. entering into this, because the, the, the laws of robotics, as we know them from from that very famous uh, book about uh, human robot interaction, uh, don't come into play the way they probably should have. Yeah. <laughs> Not in his, he's, he's so cocksure. And, and so, you know, you know, when he starts getting delusions of, of grandeur and misquoting uh, Caleb and, and you know, when he says he's like a god, yes. Um, you know, then you know something is really going to go off the rails yeah. at some point in this film. So, you know, like you say, maybe the the intellectual question of it isn't fully satisfied, but I think the film does a pretty good job of having its cake and eating it too, going from from uh, intellectual treaties to uh, to genre thriller and and doing it in a, in a very gradual kind of subtle way. Yeah, no, I I, I do agree with that. And and you know, it's funny that uh, uh, it wouldn't be the first time filmmakers have ignored the source text iRobot being being <laughs> part of it. I yeah. mean, that movie from 2004, I just I don't know why they even bothered making it because it just seems so little relation to the actual uh, yeah, book. Very little. <laughs> very little. Uh, but yeah, in this case I think I think science fiction fans will really enjoy this it does have a lot of thought put into it and uh and interesting you know politics interesting tech issues and uh, and yeah i mean it, the i i think that uh, one of the things that made me think of was this uh recent thought uh, there was this recent question of um what will destroy us? I think there was a poll, and a lot of people were asked, you know, what what will come, what will bring the human race to its end? And a lot of people said, oh, a climate change, you know, the change in climate could could destroy us all. But a, a lot of scientists, I think, including uh, Stephen Hawking, said uh, artificial intelligence might be the thing that brings <laughs> us down. So that's maybe something to keep in mind while watching this film, and I think that's that's in the the subtext here. Yeah, I always wonder if uh, if Ava, you know, being as intelligent as she is, if you programmed her with the laws of robotics, which, you know, include, like, robots shall not harm humans and all that. But if she's super intelligent, she could probably just reprogram herself. So maybe that's a moot point. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. And uh, and there is also another character in the film who plays a key part. And again, I'm I'm trying to be cagey, so to not to act, to offer any spoilers, but there are four real main characters in this space. And the fourth is is also key to the, what happens in the end. 
Uh, and all of this is um, anyway. I think I'll stop. I'll stop because <laughs> yes. I'm going to dig myself a hole. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do want to leave some surprises. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, but this uh, Ex Machina is is really worth seeing. It's opening here on May 8th, and uh, and people, I, I think actually it's kind of getting a rollout, so it might already be where you are listening to this. Uh, so so uh, by all means, uh, go look for it. Ex Machina. And Avengers Age of Ultron. These are movies that are revisiting what is a common, common genre trope happening and has been happening for many, many years that <laughs> tech will eventually destroy us. It's so true. You know, and I, I think, of course, there's been books about it uh, in movies. I probably, you know, James Whale's Frankenstein 1931 might be the first instant that I can think of, or if, if not Metropolis. I mean... You know, going back that far, tech is, you know, our tech, however you want to apply it, is is something we're kind of afraid of. The thing we create will destroy us is something that keeps coming back. Well, even going back to the silent version of Frankenstein that was made by Edison's company back in the 19-teens. So, uh, you know, going back to the Shelley novel, of course, the Mary Shelley novel that... uh, Man must not tamper in God's domain. But now we're tampering in this other domain that there is no God and uh, we're creating new ones out of uh, chips and uh, circuits and uh, it's the start of a long road to hell, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And I, uh, you know, with the big Marvel movie coming May 1st, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron is, uh, which they've sort of uh, retconned the, the comic story from, if anyone reads Marvel comics will know that Ultron is a is a robot, an indestructible robot that, uh, that uh, was created out of an experiment uh, that... Um, is now in in the movie it's actually Tony Stark in the in the comic books it was it was somebody else but uh but you know you can kind of see where they're taking that it's the it's a natural conclusion for what Stark's been doing in all the Iron Man movies and the Avengers movies is, is upgrading his technology uh employing artificial intelligence and hoping to protect the planet from the 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 powerful forces arrayed against it uh you know all of which is laudable uh, intentions but uh, Ultron is 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 kind of you know is the child that that uh that you really don't want to have <laughs> <laughs> destroy all the humans especially when James Spader is voicing him Oh, so creepy. So creepy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, you can go back and see see uh, the way that tech has come to bite us on the ass. I, I, I like to think about that when I watch Godzilla movies. Uh, obviously, the, the nuclear threat is the thing that uh, that frightens people. And that's the the real parents of, of Godzilla. This this radioactive lizard uh, in 2014 was the most recent Godzilla movie. And, uh, you know, it's still even though it's not quite the 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 nuclear thing is is less of a uh, prevalent theme in the new movies it's it's there in the in the bedrock of of the thing and it's certainly a subtext well of course in the new one it's sort of interesting in that it's it's supposed to be kind of a a, a reboot and a, a fresh slate as far as uh the giant thunder lizard godzilla <laughs> goes uh but the, there's this indication that he's been around before that it's not this isn't the first time Godzilla has been encountered, and it leaves that kind of backstory kind of vague. Maybe they'll go back to it if they're in future installments. I think the movie was enough of a hit that we'll probably be uh, seeing some sort of follow-up at some point. But um, but uh, there's, there's always, uh, you know, the, the fear of the new is, is this thing that's been ongoing in mankind since somebody discovered fire, probably. Um, you know, or came across a tree that had been struck by lightning. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
the creative uh, powers of be will always find ways to exploit that. I think um, I, w- I was thinking about this theme, and uh, it occurred to me that uh, some of the first iterations of television. You know, like uh, people were talking about television. As soon as radio appeared on the scene, then people were thinking, "Well, what if it had pictures?" You know, because it, the you know the movies were coming along around the same time. And I think of like one of the first movies to reference television is uh, like a like a Bela Lugosi thriller from the '30s called you know Murder by Television. Like all of a sudden, you know, it isn't. It's not even anybody's home yet, and it's already a threat. And then, <laughs> and then of course, you think of how. Uh, uh, Jane, uh, Orwell introduced television in, in 1984 as a kind of a thing that's watching you in your own house that the, the big brother has uh, got a two-way mirror into your daily life through through television and uh, you know and, and ultimately you know it's, it's it's relatively harmless but but somehow there was a threat implied there even before uh, most people even knew what it was or had ever seen a, a television set yeah the, the idea of a glowing presence in your living room uh, freaks people out and you know I, I can understand that I can understand it takes a while for people to get used to ideas of, of technology and and certainly uh, if we build things that look like us or in some way seem like us that that seemingness uh, is uh, is kind of creepy you know the uncanny valley uh, and and certainly that kind of stuff kind of gets under your skin in a way that you don't quite understand uh, I you know I think about HAL 2000, or 9000, excuse me, in, uh, in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and how, how the, his even tones of his voice, which at one time seemed quite soothing, but also seemed terribly horrible once he, he, he had his little breakdown and, and started to <laughs> do what he, <laughs> what he did. Uh, you know, but that's, that's, you know, he doesn't even need, all, he can be a red glowing eye, and that can be terrifying. He doesn't even need to walk around. He doesn't need to be a killer robot, you know? He can just be this intelligence with, with all this unbelievable capacity for good and evil. Um, and of course, you know, the the evil part is what predominates, I think, in in a lot of movies. And the fact that he has control of the life support systems when you're out in deep space. <laughs> yes, that's you know, that's important. Orbiting yeah. Jupiter. It's yeah. like you really don't want your computer to go insane uh, <laughs> at that particular point in time. Yes. Yeah. You were mentioning uh, this movie, speaking of, of, of uh, artificial intelligent computers going insane, called Colossus the Forbin Project. This isn't something that we just watched the trailer for, but this is not a movie I've seen. You you know about it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of like a cheaper earthbound version of of uh 2001 a space odyssey and and in fact in the trailer they they make a it was you know it's universal it's a different studio altogether but they they kind of try to ride the coattails of of kubrick's film you know saying that it's got all the power and majesty of 2001 or space odyssey or what have you with it when it clearly does does not have the same regard for the theme or arthur c Clarke's uh kind of kind of vision but it you know it, it basically takes um the kind of fail-safe Doctor Strangelove approach to, you know, who's got control of nuclear weapons and so on, and, you know, what would it take to go awry? But um, basically, uh, the Forbin Project is a super-intelligent computer. Um, you know, obviously, AI was a long way into the future at that point, but but um, this this computer basically gets a... just is able to control the uh, all the defense systems. It, it, it just uh, amasses power somehow, and its, it's creator is blithely oblivious to the threat until it's too late I suppose and, and sounds uh, a little bit like whopper from um war games the, the oh computer. yeah yeah a little bit yeah the, well that's certainly probably an inspiration war games is a much better movie i have to say <laughs> uh-huh. but uh you know it, interesting that uh to to see uh you know uh 
Atlantic Canadian actor Gordon Pinsent as the president, uh, you know, fresh after his victory uh, as the the cop in uh, Blackula. <laughs> so, um, or actually, I think just before. Now that I think about, it, I think this film came first, uh, and then he got the plum role in, in Blackula after Colossus: The Forbin Project, and uh, Susan Clark, who I think is Canadian, anyway, um, as as kind of the love interest uh, computer scientist who's kind of collaborating with um, Forbin, the scientist who invented this thing as they try to get around the intelligent computer that seems to have eyes and ears everywhere, which, oddly enough, comes into play in uh, <laughs> fast, uh, the latest Fast and the Furious entry with the God's Eye yes, computer kind of right. thrown in there as the, the MacGuffin of sorts. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the idea of computers in the home was ways off, and yet there were films like this and uh, Demon Seed with Julie Christie, uh, another film from from that period where, you know, the idea of computers coming into our homes was something to be wary of and to, to, you know, really, you know, be scared of <laughs> and, 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 and try to prevent from happening because it would take over our lives. And right. it sort of has in a, in a way, if you think about it, now we've got little computers we carry in our pockets, uh, but, but not in the way that these films kind of envision. Well, no, it's funny that, that sort of the Jetsons verse, version of the future very much by the early 70s has kind of been cast aside. There's not as much uh, uh, sort of optimism, even even after the end of the you know, Star Trek TV series. I mean, that was going on in, in syndication and people were loving it. But, but it's funny how so much of these, when it comes to tech, so much of it just is threatening to us that we're going to lose control of whatever it is we've, we've done. And yet, I have no robot made. Where is my <laughs> robot made? Yeah. Well, you know, they promise us, us jetpacks is really that's what true. I that's, like to that's say. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I guess the Roomba is as close as we're going to get to the <laughs> robot made, unfortunately. <laughs> So the king of the tech will destroy us theme, I think, has got to be Michael Crichton. This guy who's had a, who had an amazing career as an author and as a screenwriter, and then actually as a director as well, and a doctor. Yeah, like the guy because <laughs> he wasn't busy enough. Yeah, he's kind of, kind of amazing actually, and not that all his movies were great or all his stories were great, but he had he had enough that really blew my mind, and and he really milked this sort of Frankenstein uh, man's hubris, humanity's hubris uh, in what they create will be its destruction. Uh, probably his most celebrated and well known uh, material is Jurassic Park, uh, which. You know, uh, Spielberg turned into two movies. I've actually ne- never seen the third one. Third but- one's a lot of fun, actually. Okay, it's it just it decides it's just going to go for broke and be a a big dumb popcorn movie. Okay, and uh, so yeah, my, Crichton himself might not uh, appeal <laughs> or right. not uh, approve, but yes. it's 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 uh, it's uh, Joe Johnson who made Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I think is sure. the director of that one, and and uh, it's. You know, it's it's like okay, we've gotten over the the science theme. Let's just have a lot of dinosaurs running amok, and it's you know not as serious, but I think it's I enjoyed it more than the second one for some strange. Well, reason. well, I watched the second one again, and uh, the one thing I liked most about it, I think, is my growing appreciation of the work of Jeff Goldblum, who in it is the skeptic, and I think that's important in these films is to have someone who is just like, okay, this is a really bad idea, and <laughs> and I think a lot of people in the audience watching it are echoing those those sentiments in their hearts and. And uh, certainly, 
you know the the special effects that made Jurassic Park such a success at least part of part of that the success of those films is how credible those beasts are um, but uh, but yeah it's it's uh, it's about thinking that you can make a profit from it I think is at the core and that's where people go wrong and now of course we get a, a Jurassic Park coming out this summer I think in June uh, and uh, you know again it just keeps the story keeps being told I, I saw the trailer for Jurassic Park and I was like man, there's nothing new about this except for Chris Pratt. Like, it's just the same story being told again. All the shots, everything about it, it's, it feels... I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be fun, but but uh, it's interesting. I think more interesting maybe is just that the themes of of our fear of tech keep coming back. You know, they, 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 don't, they don't go away. And so do old story ideas. I, I think uh, the Jurassic... Uh, I think it's Jurassic World, I think, is the... The new one with Chris Pratt. Is did, that I, the one? Is it, did I say Jurassic I think World? Park, but oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Jurassic Park was the first one. Jurassic World is the new one. You're right. Yeah. Um, but uh, Michael Crichton has made a lot of other great stories of a similar theme. And mm. I, going back to, I think Westworld was the one that I loved when I uh, uh, watched. Probably too young f- to have absorbed it properly, but I've seen it many times since, and uh, it's the same kind of story. It's a uh, it's uh, a future world, a a, a, a park uh, that people can go. And uh, West, there are three there are three parts of it. There's Westworld, Medieval World, and Roman World, populated by robots that look exactly like human beings. And people spend a certain amount of money, get taken to these places, and then live out their fantasies for a week uh, in a in an old West town where they get to have uh, you know gunfights with gunslingers, drink uh, and party, and uh, and you know have sex with robots, basically, because that's what you know people really want to do. Yeah, of course, <laughs> as, as Ex Machina kind of goes back to. Yes, but uh, yeah, the the idea of the, the the adult theme park in itself was kind of an odd you know idea, but but the Disney Disney World is kind of ripe for. Uh, kind of a satiric look at it but also like looking at the implications of like all these like super animatronic uh creations that that uh were spawned by that party and basically you know anime animatronics and robotics that were invented you know purely for amusement not not to help build cars or do heart surgery or whatever but you know so you could have abraham lincoln stand up and make a speech you feel like what would it be like if abraham lincoln stood next to you know, Millard Fillmore or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to the the Hall of the Presidents. At I haven't. Hall, no, no. It's a good place to have a nap. Really, <laughs> it's, it's you know, good on them for Liberty Square or Liberty whatever Freedomville or whatever that part of Disney World is. But but uh, you know, to take that to the nth degree, I think was really really clever on on uh, Crichton's part. And, yeah, I agree, and and I I think. Um, you know, you ask yourself, well, would I enjoy this? Would I? How? What would I get out of it? But I think what's also interesting is that the robots they malfunction. There's not any real reason for them starting to malfunction. Of course, they malfunction, <laughs> they but it just to. it just they it's almost like a like a virus that takes place within their mechanisms, and they all sort of go wrong at the same time. Uh, of course, now we we are we're used to we 
live with built-in obsolescence in our electronics. But but to see it in 1973, Yul Brenner playing the gunslinger that is unstoppable, uh, kind of a pre-Terminator Terminator, Terminator uh, is is really great. And and I, I should say that if you haven't seen Westworld, the original, um, you should check it out before HBO remakes it, which they're doing oh, with wow, a series okay. this year, uh, which is being created by Jonathan Nolan, uh, the co-writing brother of director Christopher Nolan, and executive produced by J.J. Abrams. And the, the HBO series will star Anthony Hopkins, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, and as the Whoa. sort of uh, the mysterious gunslinger, Ed Harris. Oh, okay. I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to make a series out of it, which should be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to that in, ter- in terms of remakes. That sounds actually pretty great. But uh, but the original is is you should not miss it. And also you get to see Richard Benjamin running. So, <laughs> so you know, there's that. There's endless <laughs> amounts of, uh, of, tree, <laughs> of of humor. Uh, I mean, it's he's he just is, is an interesting runner. He, he has an interesting style. And uh, there's also the sequel Future World, which is less successful. Yeah, um, I didn't like it quite as much. It's, and I think, who's it, Peter Fonda? I think yeah, he's the star of that right. one and yeah. much less charismatic than, you know, James Pee Wee Herman Brolin uh, <laughs> in, 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 in Westworld. But yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting thing. I, I saw Westworld before I ever went to a theme park and it just made me really suspicious. I mean, I've, I've been to Disney World a couple of times, but, uh, you know, just that, that whole idea of, of being entertained by, by this, by fake, fake humans and fake hippopotamuses. And, you know, you know, obviously it's, you know, just, now we got Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, the cheaper version of the the Bear Jamboree. But but uh, just it just seemed really odd to me to, to sit there and watch robots and kind of go through the motions and of uh, of entertaining us. So you know, I, 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 that film kind of puts a, a different spin on it. That uh, you know, I can't go to a theme park ever again without thinking of of the potential for for being gunned down. Or yeah, whatever. I don't I don't know that I'm I'm a big theme park guy. Uh but I do enjoy these stories of these these robots that go uh Go go crazy! Uh, and I, I wanted to mention, although I don't want to touch on it, although it's not a great movie. Another one of Crichton's movie movies, uh, at least it's adapted from one of his books called *The Terminal Man* from 1974. This one isn't as well known, but it's directed by Mike Hodges, who did *Get Carter* and later *Flash Gordon*. Uh, and uh, it stars George Siegel or Segal Segal um, and uh, Donald Moffat and Richard Dysart, who uh, joined, you know, a part of were part of the Thing in the early 80s as part of those. Uh, those that that cast uh, of John Carpenter's film, uh, and and basically, Terminal Man is is about a guy who has a kind of epilepsy based on a brain injury, uh, but instead of having a seizure, he experiences rage and gets very violent. So he has he uh, these scientists implant into his brain a computer the size of a postage stamp, which is supposed to manage his seizures by connecting them to the pleasure centers of his brain. What winds up happening is he finds violence m- makes him happy. So when he recovers, he goes on a rampage. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you, you know, do. it's as you as one does. Yeah, as you do. Uh, and it's 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 uh, I don't know that I'd recommend the film. It's it's very slow. The first act, it was about a 30 minute long uh, surgery scene. And I I don't know if it's supposed to be suspenseful, but it's really dull. Uh, but, you know, it's it's in terms of this theme, it, it very much is the same thing. It's like, oh, tech isn't going to save us at all. It's going to make us maniacs and, and serial killers. <laughs> I, I liked watching, uh, I watched the trailer for this, and uh, the announcer, when he said the, 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 the term, you know, the terminal uh, man, the emphasis was not what I expected. It's like, he's the terminal man. 
the terminal man. And it was just like, <laughs> it's very weird because like, oh yeah, he's terminal man. <laughs> oh, he's a terminal. He's got a he's got a computer in his head. So of course he's a terminal man as opposed to anyway. It's yeah, you know, it's there's also, lots of ways you can go with it. It's all semantics, but you know, but obviously you know he's also doomed. So yes, <laughs> it's it kind of signals that right from the outset. But I, I'd be curious to see just George Segal just going psychotic on people. Yeah, and they sh- they shave as they appear. I mean, uh, best I can tell, it looks like they actually shaved his head, which is kind of unusual for a 70s leading man to see him, someone shave shave his head with a razor before he goes into hmm. surgery, uh, which is kind of an interesting visual. And then um, went on The Tonight Show with his banjo and did some... <laughs> I don't, I, I'm just used to seeing him on talk shows. And <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, that's he, for a long time, that's what he, what he did. Now he's, he does sitcoms now these days, I think. Um, but uh, but anyway, so ten <laughs> ten years after the Terminal Man, uh, Crichton uh, wrote and directed Runaway in 1984 with Tom Selleck uh, as Jack Ramsey. A uh, now that's this is around the time Tom Selleck looked like he was gonna be a movie star as well as a TV star, but it never quite took. Uh, but he's a great presence in film and a generally likable guy. And here he he plays a cop in, in a in a near future where it, his job is to track down malfunctioning robots. Because in the near future we all have like helper robots. And the funny thing is the robots are like little boxes holding guns. Like they just they don't seem very compelling. Uh, mm. In fact, they're most of them are pretty lame. There's a he has his own sort of ridiculous housekeeping robot named Lois, who's basically like a like a box that has lights on it and moves in and out of rooms and apparently is very capable of doing things, taking care of his son when he's not around and, uh, and uh, doing first, all sorts of housekeeping chores. But he's but first she, Roomba. Yeah, but she basically doesn't seem to have any arms or anything. Like it's 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 quite quite strange. Uh, the great the best thing probably about Runaway is uh, is Gene Simmons as the villain. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and this is the first time I, I in, in yeah he got a lot more ink than Selleck did. Yeah, I think so. Turn. I think so. And I mean, he's great. He's he's very brooding and intense. I don't know what kind of actor he is really, but he he brings the villainous the creep and I know he's played a villain in a number of, of movies but uh, he, here he's a psychopathic genius who's invented a programming that can turn robots into killers uh, including he's he's figured out how to create a seeking bullets from robotic guns so so yeah he's, he's kind of a terrorist and it's one of those fir- the movies I think maybe maybe a, a, one of the first times that that terrorism is brought into the the vernacular as a as a villainous kind of presence rather than some kind of uh, national uh, uh, government or something to that effect. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I'm not that big on Crichton as a director, but um, and the, like I remember at the time this coming out, it just felt like his sort of version of Blade Runner. You know, Tom yeah. Selleck. You know, like Tom Selleck. You know, he was Tom Selleck was like the bargain bin version of of Indiana Jones and High Road to China, and here yes. he's kind of another Harrison Ford character because that was kind of like they were trying to make him the you know another Harrison Ford and uh, like you say it never quite took and um, I just have a vision of this film seeming incredibly dated now yeah there's definitely some ways it is dated I mean there's I I have a fondness for some of those dated aspects Uh, I mean there's some entertainment value here certainly and I would say mostly in Gene Simmons presence but uh, but I think the problem is mostly the robots they're just not they're not scary they're not compelling Uh, they would have been much smarter to try to put humans in some kind of people in some kind of outfits to to create uh, 
you know, to make them more humanoid. But uh, but overall, I would say, you know, that I'm actually quite fond of Crichton's visions of of doom by our own hand sort of around the way. Uh, I I do appreciate him and uh, and though I, if you're going to choose one to see uh, and if you haven't seen one of the Jurassic's uh, Westworld's the way to go. Yeah, I'd stick with Westworld too. It's just it's it's you know, a, a better cast. There are no annoying children in it. I, I actually remember watching Jurassic Park when they brought it back for IMAX, I think, or something like that. And it, it hadn't it hadn't aged terribly well either in my mind. I, I, like I didn't think that the computer effects. Which uh, were too bad. Uh-huh. I know a lot was made about them at the time, and nothing ages faster than CGI. You know, like models and stuff like that still look great, but old CGI just—it's it, it, amazing how how quickly that stuff ages. But um, but just those kids. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember them being that annoying the first time out. Probably because I was just marveling at all the other stuff. But you know, when you're when that's kind of passe, you have to focus on the characters in the story, and that was just something that just kept bringing me down every time they showed up on screen. Yeah. Well, yeah, fair enough. And I, I, uh, I sort of feel the same way. I just try to appreciate Goldblum and his, especially in that second movie. Oh yeah, he's the highlight. You know, for sure. when he, when he's like, uh, yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But later, is running and screaming. screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, we cannot continue discussing, you know, our the, the way tech will destroy us without mentioning the Terminator Yeah, movies. speaking of killer robots. Killer robots, yeah. I mean, frankly, the Terminator, James Cameron's creation, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the best role he's ever going to have. Uh, and I am and I say that as a huge Conan fan. Uh, you know, and, and then Terminator 2, Judgment Day, also amazing. Uh, and, and then they kind of start to drop off. Now, we've got a <laughs> Terminator on the horizon uh, G- Terminator Genesis uh, directed by Alan Taylor who uh, did the second Thor movie and is is a veteran of Game of Thrones and uh, I you know I'm I'm okay with more Terminator movies I I would be happy if they left the franchise alone but uh, it's you know this 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 uh, I, I love the theme. I love the music. I, I'm okay with Schwarzenegger. I'm even okay with an aging Terminator, which is look, looks like what we're going to get this time out. Yeah, it's you know, Salvation was kind of a letdown. It, it was, was. It was. It was grim. Without you know, the, the, I mean, there's so much humor in the first two, uh, and the third one tries to do it, but doesn't. Uh, Rise of the Machines tries to approximate some of that. But it, it it somehow falls flat, and uh, you know, so I, I I don't think it's a the concept is dead. I think it's, you know, as long as they remember that that just that right mix of elements of, you know, having that kind of rebellious spirit, but also some of the humor and, uh, you know, you can and, and some grimness. Obviously, <laughs> you think of Judgment Day, they blew up the world in in a dream sequence. So, uh, but it's it's all about the balance of all the different elements, and I think Salvation went too far into the just grim apocalyptic wasteland and without remembering that you know well we gotta have human characters too it's not just all about the robots well you know uh, Christian Bale is not he doesn't have a lot of he doesn't have a funny bone that guy I don't think that's you cast him in your movie it's hard it's hard to get light yeah, well, I think American Hustle, maybe we saw a little bit of that. A little. I wasn't that much of a fan, I got to say. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, just at least for something different out of him. And uh, But, yeah, it would be nice It would be nice if he could lighten up a little bit. <laughs> uh, I should say, uh, speaking of, of killer robot movies, one of the most delightful ones, if you want to say delightful, is The Iron Giant, Brad Bird's wonderful animation from 1999, which, uh, of course, uses the wonderful... Uh, 
voice talents of one of the biggest stars in the world right now, Vin Diesel, who most people know from those car movies. But also, uh, he did the voice of Groot, and he did the voice of this this story, this giant robot, which arrives in a small town in the 1950s, I think, uh, and uh, you know makes friends with a with a little boy and. Uh, and his his programming has been adjusted, and and he kind of has this ex- existential dilemma. This robot is he a weapon or is he a hero? And he wants to really wants to be a hero. And it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous story. But it, again, it's very much this theme of like you know this this thing that was actually made to be a force of destruction, but doesn't have to be. It's a, it's sort of walking the line between uh, will our tech destroy us or not? Yeah, Brad Bird can do no wrong, really. Uh, you know, he's he's just he's got so much imagination, so many ideas, and 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 uh, I haven't watched Iron Giant in a long, long time, but I just remember being really delighted by this film and how it had that nice kind of nostalgic glow about it, but also you know looking forward, kind of playing on the Cold War paranoia in a way that. I don't think uh, an animated feature film had had done before, um, aside from When the Wind Blows, where it's post post Cold War and into the uh, post nuclear war era. But uh, but but Iron Giant was something different. I think it uh, you know it, it asked a lot of its audience, especially young viewers, you know, asking them to to think about history and about uh, kind of the classic science fiction and 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 putting a new spin on it and 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 look at looking at. Um, you know what these what these creations could do like they had this hopeful hopeful uh attitude towards technology and, and but but with the retro spin i you know it's like so much stuff about this and i i really actually really want to revisit this at some point yeah it's wonderful uh, it it doesn't it's it's uh it's kind of one of the timeless stories uh that uh, i never i've never gotten tired i've seen it three or four times and i always get a little choked up at the end uh and and uh it's it's funny that there's room for those kinds of stories i think uh, it's probably the reason why I, I so enjoy all the various star treks though a little less so the jj abrams i gotta <laughs> admit but uh but yeah there there it's nice it's nice when when a, a, a science fiction film shows up that has a vision of the future that is positive or optimistic it's kind of a breath of fresh air because because there are so many examples of the things we're talking about which is like our our the 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 future looks pretty damn grim <laughs> for most most people um and uh you know and our our machines uh, most of them are going to kill us like uh like they they do in uh, maximum overdrive <laughs> how is that for a that's segue? an awesome segue <laughs> Yeah, for like, reasons unknown to, or maybe they, I think in the movie, maybe they did come up with a reason. why Well, there was a comet. That's it. There was a comet as that it was, uh, yeah, as one, and it was flying around the Earth for a certain amount of time. The movie very specific about how many days it was flying around, and as a result, all this, you know, stuff, this tech goes haywire. And I mean, I can understand sun flares, sunspots, and and radiation doing strange things to electronics, but but when the uh, lawnmower is is threatening, then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> and and actually, you know, I, I know that uh, director Stephen King, the only film that he has directed in his career, the novelist has directed, uh, he called it like a moron movie after the fact. <laughs> he also apparently admitted that he was doing a lot of coke at the time. And so he was just trying to, you know, do his best and he really wasn't paying a lot of attention. Uh, but, you know, I, I I can see the appeal of this thing. It's, it's, it's very light. There's a lot of humor in it. Well, the short story it's based on is just a short story, I think, just called Trucks. Trucks, yeah. Yeah. And it's in the Night Shift anthology, which is mm-hmm. my favorite collection of his short stories. There's some amazing uh, stuff in there, and, I, and including one I think called the Stuff or something like that. But but um, the uh, 
you know, and I find short stories often make for better movies than novels. Absolutely. Because, you know, if, if it's just, it's a concentrated period of time and you don't have to worry about cutting stuff out because it's all there. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, there was no explanation in the short story as to why it was just, it was just happening. Um, uh, you know, I, I was instantly reminded of uh, a TV movie I saw when I was a kid called Killdozer, a bulldozer that just, I think there was an accident and it, it's like some somebody's brain got electrified somewhere near the bulldozer and it gave it intelligence. Uh-huh. It was evil intelligence and it just starts killing people. But, um, and, and you know, but I saw that as a kid and that it was, I was fairly impressionable at that time. And, you know, that, that haunted my dream. So, so along comes this story. So it actually, you know, pulled on something that, that I already had in my imagination, but here it just takes it way over the top. Oh, it is. It's totally over the top. Emilio Estevez. I mean, the, these characters basically get stuck in a truck stop when all the trucks go crazy around them and start circling the building. And it's, uh, you know, it's very silly stuff. But but there is there's a lot of, of fun, too. And I, I, I know it's it's considered pretty much trash, but... But there is, I, I, I wouldn't uh, entirely write it off. And I mean, aside from King, there's also ACDC all over the soundtrack. <laughs> they did all the songs. All the songs. So, you know, if you're an ACDC fan, there's, there's a lot to be, a lot to recommend. Now, uh, I, I feel like we could uh, we could mention this here. Or we could we could have mentioned it in our last podcast, which was about cars. But there have been like killer car movies. Well, the car from yeah, the seventies, uh, and then another Stephen King movie, Christine, <laughs> which is about a haunted car that, that you know is is uh, scary and uh, you know the, these uh, these vehicular monsters uh, are out there in in movies and uh, and some of them are are worth checking in on. The car is a lot of fun, by the way. Yes. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, James Brolin again. <laughs> again, with that fabulous beard. Uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend that one enough. It's, uh, again, another, like Killdozer, saw it at a young age, you know, in the, the TV, edited for TV version. But, uh, you know, it just made you really suspicious of, of anything mechanized and kind of evil. <laughs> yeah, and that strange horn off in the distance. Oh, yeah. This crazy repeated horn uh, sound. And it will also, you know, not unlike those Fast and Furious movies, uh, the car, uh, it, it ignores the laws of physics. There are times when it just leaps off the road and into houses oh, Yeah, and right through a building. Yeah, right through a building and kills a lot of people. And, and uh, you know, it, it's there's a lot of creep, creepiness going on there. Yeah, it's basically, what if we could have Jaws on land? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Oddly enough, they did you know they did a film uh, prophecy about a giant bear with uh, Richard Dysart from the Terminal Man. Oddly enough, was yeah. in so yeah, no, that's that's totally together. worth worth seeing, and it's funny because that would be an entire other podcast. Oh yeah, the it, nature will kill us. Yeah, so nature. Will kill. <laughs> we'll we'll but, get to that one eventually. But the tech is is part of that too, because I mean, well, it, it's I think it's it's like radioactive waste, nuclear waste, or something in that in that case. But cer- certainly, it's our our interaction with the world that is is going to come back to uh, to to be our you know our downfall. Yeah, we're basically doomed. Yeah, basically doomed. <laughs> Well, we were uh, briefly talking about uh, technology clashing with nature, and again, that turns around to bite us on the hinder. And uh, the, the the Planet of the Apes uh, series is probably a good example of that, where it is it's it's sci-fi, and uh, you know, with the, with the current reboot of of the whole Planet of the Apes uh, series, it's even more implicit in, in the genetic uh, fiddling about with uh, with. Uh, chimps and, and monkeys and, and those that are similar to us but a little bit different. Um, 
and they hate us for it, basically. Yeah, exactly. They become super intelligent beings with their own community. They don't want to work with us. But they want to destroy <laughs> us, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you had your turn. That's right. It's That's our right. time now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that made a real big impression. It's great to see these as a kid, you know, these films, because they, they, they do leave a big impression, and it makes you wonder... You know, about the evolutionary chain and why, in particular, that we're supposedly at the top of it. For sure. You know, I mean, whether that, or not we really are. The first movie from 68 is a classic in that it, it you know, it shows this, this society of apes on what we first believe is a faraway uh, planet somewhere far, far outside of our own experience. Uh, of course, as we learn, and I, this is one of those those perfect moments of like, if you haven't seen this yet, then what the hell are you doing? Listen to this show because because <laughs> we are, you know, it, the fact I of it, if you've come this far, you've yeah, you probably one seen of one of them. But but clearly, the Planet of the Apes is actually Earth, as it's revealed later. And uh, then the presumption, and then there were a bunch of sequels of movies through the seventies, uh, where we learned more and more about how we played a role in the rise of the planet of the apes and certainly there was a nuclear element I mean we blew ourselves up and then the it was only the second installment they blew up the earth yes yes you uh, maniacs <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah and so and but the in the new films you know we, it becomes much more more and more explicit as it goes along and certainly messing with nature using our technology to to mess with genes and encoding DNA and all that kind of thing is certainly part of that sort of tech tech uh, hubris that uh, playing God, which is is behind all of these stories. Uh, and, uh, you know, in movies like Gattaca, uh, these the future societies are 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 envisioned in this dystopic way. And, and you know, we, we certainly fear the possibility that we'll all be kind of genetically perfect or or in line with one another. Diversity becomes more and more important. Uh, and I think that's that's important to consider as well. Yeah, I keep waiting for someone to get around to uh, a decent version of Huxley's Brave New World, which kind of ventures into that idea as well. That's that's an idea that I think there was a very bad miniseries mm-hmm. <laughs> made of that in the 80s. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, a story that's probably ripe for retelling, you know, as, as man strives to, to reach some sort of new level of perfection. And then, of course, it just all goes horribly wrong. So... Um, uh, Gattaca is not a film. I, I, I haven't seen that since it came out. But I, I remember being really struck by its kind of stark clinical vision of, of what we're heading for and or possibly heading for. I, I don't think things are going to be too clinical. Things seem to be going more in the direction of messy. Yes, than you're right. In, kind of a you know a, a sparse uh, 2001 style future. I yeah. think I think it's you know the Mad Max is looking more and more realistic all the time. But, <laughs> but yes. um, you know, certainly the that whole tampering in God's domain uh, is 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 kind of speeding us along that path. It seems like, and uh, you know, y- y- we started with Frankenstein, and 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 you've mentioned a film uh, that uh, kind of takes that in a whole new level. And we're, we're the 2009 film Splice, which yes. gets uh, goes with that idea of, of a more updated, modern, uh, genetic, uh, scientific version of Frankenstein that uh, is at times pretty terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great monster movie and I I think it's a nice one to uh to end off on. Uh this is directed by Vincenzo Natali, a Canadian director who did Cube, a uh, very low budget but very successful science fiction picture from some years ago. And uh, Splice was a follow-up starring Adrian Brody and Sarah Pauly as genetic scientists who happen to be a couple and they are working 
to they working on um, animal experiments, but they decide to introduce a little bit of human DNA into these experiments, and they they basically create a child named Dren, who is very much a modern Frankenstein. She's a fast growing creature who has some real gifts and as the story goes on it becomes weirder and more discomforting and more unpleasant uh, as as she grows up and she starts to have very powerful effects on the lives of her creators uh, and, it, and that's when it becomes and you know and, and her the things about her that are, are him it's kind of a, <laughs> a, a gender free zone there um, uh, it's it's a uh, it's kind of, yeah I don't want to spoil it because some of those those surprises are part of the pleasure if you want to call it that oh yeah film. big time yeah um, yeah as the, the sort of animal hormones mix with human hormones in a big way you know, I, I hear stories about how raccoons, once they, they hit puberty, the people try to have them as pets, but then they just go, you know. Go wacky. They go nuts. Like yeah. When, and it's come, they just change on a dime. And that's kind of what happens here to a certain re- regard. And I just realized that Dren spelled backwards is nerd. nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. this this is a film. I mean, the great thing about Splice is, like, when it wants to be terrifying and scary and and really heavy on the edge of your seat. It does a good job at doing that, but it also has that sense of humor that uh, I feel goes goes awry so often. You know, the fact that uh, the uh, Adrian Brody's character is Clive after, um, you know, Colin Clive, who played Dr. Frankenstein in the uh-huh. James Whale film, and of course, Sarah Pauly's name is Elsa after uh, Elsa Lancaster, who is the uh, the bride of Frankenstein in, in the sequel. So, you know, the, they're kind of winking at us a little bit you know they're they're letting us know that they're you know they're they're wearing it on their sleeve a little bit and uh but you know, they get that out of the way pretty quickly like they it's do. just you know they they know you know we know going in it's, it's an homage and then they they treat it respectfully and uh and then really <laughs> really go for go for the gusto with uh you know the you know taking their Frankenstein creation to a to a whole new level, whole new level, whole modern level that uh, that will mo- I think will make most people pretty damn uncomfortable. I uh, I loved uh, I loved the film and uh, and it, and I also really loved the aspects of it. This is shot in Toronto film. It's mm. a Canadian movie and uh, it's quite indebted to the sort of body horror of Cronenberg and just the look and feel of it too. Some of Cronenberg's best films have a lot of this stuff going on. I want to talk about. Uh, you know, a, a very visceral connection with tech. Uh, he is one of those guys who uh, who definitely has films in that department too. But but yeah, Splice uh, Splice is, is is a great great modern Frankenstein movie, and uh, you know, um, and they just keep making them, keep doing great Frankenstein movies, and we we just find new ways to to tell this story, and I'm, it makes me pretty happy. I don't know. Just don't see I Frankenstein. That's the flip side. That is the bad Frankenstein right. movie. Stay far, far away. <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact us on Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears, all one word, or search for Lends Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're on Stitcher, and you can rate and review us on iTunes, and if you do, we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. Our email is lendsmeyourearspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Karsten Knox, and my Twitter is at Karsten Knox. And I'm Stephen Cook, and my Twitter is at ch underscore s-c-o-o-k-e. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. 
Lends Me Your Ears is engineered by Luke Badio and is produced by Dave Anderson and Jason Michael McIsaac. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Discover more great shows on the Village Soundcast Network by going to villagesoundcast.com. We can also be found on Twitter at vsoundcast and on Facebook by searching the Village Soundcast Network. Rate and review us on iTunes and you'll get a shout-out on an upcoming show. Send feedback to lendsmeyourearspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.